tempo. I want to speak today on watchful Christian living. We'll really get to that towards the end of the message, but uh, by way of review, we have uh, been looking at our motivation for giving, as well as different ways we can determine what we should give. Over the last couple of weeks, we saw that our motivation to give must be based on our love for the Lord and His work, or is it pleasing to Him? I think that uh, there has been a history uh, in certain Christian traditions that the Lord uh, commands us to do to obey, and He, as long as we obey out of duty, He's happy with that. I don't believe that. It's not to say we don't have a duty to the Lord. But I don't think the Lord is happy if we don't see the wisdom and the beauty of serving Him. And if we don't delight in doing it, that's maybe we, we try to bring that out when we can. But our giving is to be based on one's income and it's something that you must decide for yourself. We don't give with the hope that the Lord will bless us financially if we do. The Lord has promised to take care of our needs. Our needs as He sees them, not always as we see them. But he'll take care of us, but we give because it's the right thing to do, because we care about the things that we are giving to. And so in the final section of this book, Paul deals with some of the normal problems in the Lord's work. It is good to remember that the work of the Lord, which is in the, which is the work, in the work of the church, is primarily evangelized identification. I think sometimes churches get away from this. The church's primary, uh, the Great Commission is to go to all the world and preach the gospel, right? We are to evangelize, and we are to teach those who are saved. So we are to evangelize, and then uh, with those that the Lord brings calls out of the world, we are to teach them the word of God. That's the primary thing that churches are called to do. It doesn't mean they can't be involved in other things, but they never get far away from that. And so, again, a lot of churches, uh, they, they get, I think, carried away into other things, and that becomes the, you know, activities become the primary focus, charity becomes the primary focus, and, and that's not to be the primary thing. Those are things that are good in their, if they can be done in relationship to the primary goals. We might add that it is good for all saints to understand that this is part of their calling as well, something that only the church does these things. We've all been called to do this. The church is to create an atmosphere of teaching and learning and support so that the members can go out and evangelize and speak and to live Christ in front of this world. And so with that in mind, I think we can find some application here as we read especially about Paul's mindset in these closing words in how he views his ministry. I think there's some interesting things to see. And the first one we see is, is in verses 4 through 7, where, um, or, or verses 5 through 7 here, where he says, I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you, or even spend the winter, so that you may... Help me on my journey wherever I go. Maybe we could translate it wherever I happen to go. And so you notice as we're reading that, and there's no one more led by the Spirit of God, I don't believe, than Paul. You know, I think a case could be made that 
you know, not to say he was the most godliest of, of all saints, the most spirit-led, but he was certainly right on up there. And yet, we get a glimpse of his everyday life, and in particular, his decision-making process. In this case, his calling and goal is to evangelize and build up the established churches. I mean, that's, that was, I mean, he was an apostle after all. So he is busy making plans to that end in which the Bible and the Spirit have not spelled out the particulars. Did you notice that? He's telling the people what he intends to do, and he's fully aware that he might not do it all. And he's okay with that. So to be spirit-led does not mean that the Spirit tells you every move to make, and you know exactly what needs to be done. But you've got to pray about every little thing, and unless the Spirit bangs you over the head and, and gives you an obvious answer, you can't do it. We are here to glorify God in all that we do, and so we go out and we live our life, and we make our decisions in the best way we believe it gets the job done. And I think we see that pretty well spelled out here. He expects that some of his plans will not come to fruition, and he will not be able to do everything he planned to do. He will have to sometimes make new plans, and that's okay. Uh, here, I've just got a couple of different quotes. We'll get to the second one here in a moment. Just uh, just some things I think might be good for you to remember. First of all, we don't need a special feeling or Bible verse or sign for every decision. We just need to do all things for his glory with the Bible in mind, according to the principles of God's word. And you do things, it might work out the way you expected it to, it might not. It doesn't mean that it, was, that it was God's will that you didn't do it, that you made some mistake. You did with the best you could, and however it works out is now God saying, okay, now this is the situation that you're in now, and I want you to serve me in this situation. And sometimes... Uh, you know, the Lord, the, the Lord will work it out the way He wants to. More than once, I've seen people. It's not to say that we don't all do this from time to time, but I've seen people who, in a maybe more spectacular fashion, took failure to mean that they didn't have enough faith, or that they must have been out of the Lord's will. They, they, they thought this is this is what I think. They might even say, "I think the Lord has laid this on my heart." Wouldn't argue with that. I mean, maybe it did, maybe it did, maybe it didn't. They did sincerely the best that they thought was the right thing to do, and it just fell completely on its uh, face. And you can't say, okay, I have failed the Lord, that I must have been disobeying Him. Maybe maybe you were disobeying the Lord when you did something. Now that, that's something you've got to figure out. But, but as a rule, that's not the issue. The issue is, this is, the, this is what the Lord wanted to happen. This is what happened. Now what are you going to do? Are you going to become depressed? Or are you going to keep going? Are you go, How are you going to handle whatever uh, curveball the Lord sends your way? Sometimes it's just because they made poor choices. Yeah, yes, that happens. Sometimes it's the Lord's will for us to have to be able to roll with the punches that the Lord sends and serve Him anyway. It is the proverbial opening and closing of doors. Just because the door open doesn't mean that the Lord's going to give you success. Sometimes the Lord the door's open and it doesn't mean you need to walk through it. Again, there's just a lot of things to consider. We do the best we can. And yeah, we pray that God would give us wisdom. We we want to be dependent upon Him. But you can pray as sincerely as you want. And you should. But 
That doesn't mean all your actions are going to turn out the way you think they should or the way you think the Lord would have them. And that's what we got to remember. And, and Paul seems to understand that, that he's just doing the best. He's been called to, to be an apostle, so he's doing that as best he knows how. He knows that some of it will work, some of it won't, and he's okay with that, and he'll uh, take care of those things as they happen. And I believe a lot of lives have been devastated, or at least made more difficult, because maybe as kids or young people, they've been told that you've got to find God's will for your life. It's all cut and dry. Find it now and don't let anybody ever dissuade you from that or you'll be out of God's will. And you'll have missed God's will for your life. And you know, that's just a lot of pressure for, for things. That God doesn't always tell people what you're going to be doing for your whole life. Now, sometimes the Lord does call somebody. He calls someone to to minister. He calls someone to maybe be a, a, a missionary, a, a foreign missionary or something like that. And, and, and yes, early on, that's your goal and that the Lord works that out and that's what happens. But, but you can't just assume that everybody's going to know exactly what God wants them to do all their life. What we do know is that God wants you to be a faithful servant all your life. And if you do that, even if you end up having you know, 20, 30, 40 jobs before you die, so what? If you're doing that, the Lord's future for us isn't always cut and dry. And Paul might have known that he was an apostle and that that would not change. But that didn't mean that he just sat around and waited for the Spirit to give him, make every move, tell him every move to make. Only proactivity shows a desire, I think a proper desire, that I'm looking for ways to do what I need to do. Um, apathy and just waiting for for the spirit to move or for feelings to come is just that. It's apathy. Yeah, it would be nice for, for the Lord to give me a calm, restful, peaceful feeling every time I'm making the right decision. But that's not living by faith. And it doesn't always happen that way. And so we need to be ready for that. And that's okay. And he had to change his plans, but he also had a plan to change, right? He was making plans. Plans were God did not tell him what to do. Now, sometimes in, in his situation, God did. But that's uh, his situation. It's not as a, as a rule ours. God doesn't at least tell, talk to us in a direct way like that. So part of Christian living, and that's the second part here on, our, on the screen, part of Christian living is thinking about who we are and what we are here for and making decisions accordingly. And then accepting the providence of the Lord and the changes that will always come and not be diverted from what our real calling is. Again, you might have gone to school for a certain thing. You might have gotten a job for that, all well and good. You might not have. But just because you are working in your field of study or whatever, doesn't mean that that's going to continue to the day you die. You, you, you just don't know. And that's okay. Remember, of course, in, back in chapter 4, I think we quoted this last week, where Paul was talking about all the, 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 the despairing, the trials that they were going through, even to the point of, of thinking they were going to die. Everything that could go wrong for Paul seemed to go wrong at one time or another. But he just keeps going. He knew he didn't have to know what was coming up and how things were going to turn out. Like in verse 6 here. 
and perhaps I will stay with you even and even spend the winter so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. But he didn't know that was going to be the case. It, it made sense to him. He was hoping maybe it would be the case, but he didn't know for sure how it was going to turn out. He knew that he didn't know where he was going to live in a year from then, and that was okay because he was flexible because he was a servant, and servants know that it's the master who at the end of the day makes the calls, right? I was reading about David Livingston, who, uh, or Livingstone, uh, um, who um, wanted, we know was a great missionary to Africa, but he had early on had a great desire to be a missionary to China, and uh, things were working out for that, so he ended up in Africa, but even while he was in Africa, it was always his intention to go to China. Well, had that, if, if in his mind he felt that was God's call, uh, then uh, he would have never done anything in Africa because all he's worried about is doing what he feels he needs to do instead of accepting the fact that right now this is what the Lord has me to do. He couldn't serve where he was. But he knew that he was, first of all, a Christian. And so no matter where I am, I'm serving, I've got to serve the Lord here. We want to be faithful even in the small and mundane things. And if the Lord gives us big opportunities, great. But if we're not serving the small things, why would the Lord give us uh, a larger thing to do? Uh, I, was reading, uh, someone, I was reading about uh, someone who's telling a story that, uh, along these very lines. He had a friend who was not a Christian. He liked to hunt. And uh, he had a brother-in-law who uh, was not a Christian or who, excuse me, was a Christian, and they, these two knew each other, and they were going out moose hunting. And uh, they had gone out for a certain number of days and hadn't gotten anything. And when the days had ended, uh, they just, they didn't know what to do, so they decided, well, should we go uh, give up and go home, or should we you know, spend a few more days out here? Well, the, uh, the non-Christian friend told this pastor that his brother-in-law uh, who was a Christian, went back down the trail to be alone, and he was sort of praying that God would uh, tell him what they should do. Should they stay and go hunting, or should they not? And uh, they ended up, you know, he came back, and, and they ended up deciding that, well, uh, it's, uh, you know, I think it's God's will for us to stay and hunt, and so that's the decision they made. They ended up um, get, both getting a moose. But the... Uh, non-Christian went to this pastor, who's a friend of the pastor, and says, why did he have to pray about that? You know, he's kind of, you know, wondering about that. Um, you know, why, why pray about that? And the, the pastor said, I think he made a good point. There's sometimes where, you know, you make a decision. You, you've got a few more days, you don't have a moose, so you stay out. Now, it's not to say that it was wrong to, to, for the Lord to, you know, Lord, we're, you know, if, if there's something we need to know, you know, help us make a decision here. There's nothing wrong with, you know, always being an attitude of prayer. But expecting that the Lord is going to tell you whether you should or shouldn't, and that I need, I need that special guidance in this moose hunt, moose hunt begins to be problematic when we think the Lord has got to uh, give us a direct answer for every decision. And, and in some a lot of cases, really not that important decisions, where well, it doesn't matter if you do or don't. The Lord will 
you know, however it works out, the Lord will let you know. In that sense. Paul gave thought to the future. He made tentative plans for the future. I, I'm sure Paul prayed about all these things because you have got to keep yourself in a dependent spirit and asking the Lord to give you wisdom. So I'm sure he was praying about that. Some might suppose that our Lord's words uh, that say uh, in the KJV, no, give no thought for tomorrow. Some have said that it's wrong then that um, we, we should not worry at all, make any decisions. But of course, that's uh, a, a translation, uh, the newer translations uh, translated, do not be anxious about tomorrow. So it's not that the Lord is telling us, don't even give it a thought. Paul's obviously given the next year or so in thought. He's making plans, but he's not anxious in the sense of, of worrying because he knows that, no, that the Lord's involved in all this. The Lord's going to take care of it, and he's got to be ready for whatever the Lord leads. And that's what uh, the verse uh, chap, Matthew chapter 6 is talking about. Paul thinks about the future because he wants to be a good steward of his time and the opportunities that God has given him. So as he considers the future, he is not consumed with anxiety because he knows that, that there is a sovereign God who all things will end up working out exactly as he intends, as he uses our thought processes, our wills uh, to do it. So planning is not opposed to faith planning for the future. But faith takes the anxiety out of planning, right? So I know that, you know, you know, should I buy this life insurance policy? Well, all things considered, it might be a good idea, but you might not have the money to do it. You know, So there's all these things you've got to determine the matter. You've got to determine, and you can't say, well, Lord, I need to know whether this is right or wrong. Because believe you me, if you haven't already figured out that you're not going to get that answer. Now, sometimes the Lord makes things pretty obvious for us. And really only have one option, at least one good option, biblical option. But the issue is not whether you should or shouldn't. If it's a good idea and you can afford it, do it. But if you never die early enough to take advantage of it and you've wasted all that money for several years, that's okay too. It doesn't mean it was a bad idea. So planning is not opposed to faith. And so in verse 9, he says, um, For a wide door of effective work has opened for me, and there are many adversaries. So there is this great opportunity that's opened up, but the Lord hasn't taken away all the adversaries and all the obstacles to this thing. So adversity as well as change doesn't mean that we're out of God's will. Sometimes a shut door or opposition is there just to see what we're made of. Just, this is the right thing to do, and the door doesn't seem to be open, but will we uh, seek to do what's right anyway, as long as we have a chance? And sometimes the Lord not only shuts the door, but locks it. And that's good. That's okay. But just because things don't work out the way you want or because you've got people telling you you shouldn't do this or, you know, adversity, whatever it might be, look like, this doesn't mean that if, 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 if it falls on its face, you failed and you, you dishonor the Lord and the whole thing, you know, it, it, it's ruined your life. 
Sometimes a shut door or opposition is just there as a test. And again, those are things that we've got to determine the best we can, but we don't have to know for sure. Satan is our adversary, and so we should expect there to be, um, that's part of our calling, to be opposed. You know, is this a work of the church? There's always opposition. There's always things that people trying to undo the ministry. That's just part of it, but that doesn't mean that we close up. We don't close up because, well, we're, we don't seem to be growing here lately, so clearly the Lord has shut the door. It's time to go somewhere else. No. Paul merely sees a wide open door, much like we need to see the kind of the ungodliness of this uh, generation. It's easy for us to quit and to say, you know, well, this country's going to hell in a handbasket. I mean, you know, we can't expect God's blessings anymore. Um, but that's just because the problem is it's always been the case. This country's always been ungodly. This world's always been ungodly. And just because in these last few years we've seen some bad things we haven't seen before in our lifetime doesn't mean that God's not on the throne as much as he ever was. doesn't mean that we say, you know, it just got to the point where we, it just doesn't matter anymore. I was, you know, talking to someone this week and we were, we were uh, I don't know if he really understood this, but uh, I said, look, the churches that believe that God, this, that God's word is the infallible word of God, that every word is true, that, it, that it's all to be taken as God's word, no matter what, um, are few and far between. We are way in the minority of churches. Most churches out there today have no qualms having women pastors and, and, and do. And it's just growing and growing and growing. And that's okay. That, that's not, I can't do anything about that except what's going on in this church. And so, God's on the throne. And just because things are, there's adversity doesn't mean that we've got to quit. Second Corinthians 1 8, Paul says, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we are experiencing in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. They felt that the they were going to be martyred soon. But that it was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. And Paul says, look, if God wants me to, if somebody kills me, if God wants me to continue on, I'll just, he'll just raise me from the dead. That's okay. And of course, beyond that, we know that even if we die, we, we will be raised with him anyway. So he delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. So Paul put action to his words. He practiced what he preached. There's that, there's adversity. But that doesn't mean he's going to stop doing what he feels is the best thing to do. Always appreciate, there's a couple in my church in New York that, uh, always had that attitude when, you know, calamity would come upon somebody maybe personally or in their family or in the church or, or whatever, they would always they would always remind us, well, that's just another opportunity for us to serve the Lord, you know, and the Lord's got a purpose for it, and they refused to get downtrodden by those things. And they were always a great encouragement, not just to me, but to everybody. Because that was their mindset. And it taught me that that, that should be my mindset. That did, yeah, something calamity happens, it could be a very devastating thing, but, but praise God, I know that it's there for purpose, and I will not let it conquer me. So when someone says, uh, when we're looking for a place to serve the Lord, uh, 
perhaps we should look for a place with problems. You know, when we're, we're some people we're looking for things. Uh, you know, maybe you're you're looking for a church. Look for a church that needs some help. You know, look for the perfect church because you're not going to find it. You're looking for friends. Don't just look for the friends that can help you or the friends that got it all together. Perhaps somebody who's really struggling needs some uh, to be befriended and talked to. You said before, look, look out of your comfort zone. You don't always seem to be comfortable. You need to uh, be serving the Lord. I put it this way many times that we need to go outside of our comfort zone and look for those who don't necessarily, we don't necessarily uh, understand or we wouldn't necessarily be their best friends. We maybe don't have a lot of things in common. But you know what? This person has, it's, it's a human life. It has something to offer me. I have something to offer them. And uh, I can, I can maybe, we're not going to be best friends, but we can, we can serve one another. That's okay. You know, if all you do is hang around people that is just like you, it would be a pretty boring life, believe me. And I don't think, I think you'll be hurting yourself. Otherwise, we end up making decisions based only on what's the easiest and most enjoyable. And I can guarantee you that is not good decision making. Um, as usual, John MacArthur has something, uh, well, he didn't, yeah, something he said, but he uh, related a story of a missionary that uh, I thought was very good here in this subject. Uh, this is John Patton. I, I don't know if you've ever mentioned this before, but John Patton was a missionary to the New Hybrids Islands. And uh, it says that after graduation, he and his bride sailed to the southwest Pacific and began working among the savage cannibals on the island of Tana. So, you know, you you got a, a new family. You're excited to be serving the Lord. His wife and his infant son died a few months later. And Patton slept on the, their graves several nights to keep the cannibals from digging up and eating their bodies. After almost four years of faithful work, he left without seeing a single convert. Many years later, his son, by another marriage, resumed work on Tana and eventually saw the entire island come to Christ. When the elder Patton revisited the island, the chief of the former cannibals asked the missionary who was the great army that had surrounded his hut every night when they first came to live among them? God's angels had protected him. Because of his faithful work and that of his son, when he left the new hybrids for the last time after ministering on another island as well, it is reported that he said with tearful eyes, I don't know if one native on this island I do not know of one native on this island who has not made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ. So again, had he just quit after four years, which he did in a sense, he left, there was nothing, no converts. And he said, well, it's been a complete failure. No, because the Lord is going to send his son years later, who no doubt was influenced because his, his dad went there to start with. And it would appear everybody got saved. On the islands. So, you know, let let the results be left to the Lord. Let us just be faithful to do what we believe is the right thing to do. 
In verses 11 through and 12, it says, um, So let no one despise it. Now he, first, excuse me, 10 and 11. When Timothy comes, see that you uh, put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. So let no one despise him. Help him on his way in peace, that he may return to me, for I am expecting him with brothers. And here's just a note in passing where Paul says, there's a proper way for you to view those who are doing the work of the Lord among you, and that is to be helpful, to put them at ease. So don't don't be don't be the problem, but help them, support them in the ministry. And we're not talking about funds, we're talking about just encourage them in the ministry. Um now it's not to say that sometimes the elders have to be opposed, that they do everything right, that they can't sometimes be questioned, but overall what what uh what they need is support and they need encouragement and they need to, for people to uh, go along with them and to to trust them in the Lord and you kind of see him that so I thought well I'll take the opportunity just to mention that because you see Paul reminded them of that and then in verse twelve it says now concerning our brother Apollos I strongly urge him remember Paulus was one of the ones who helped start the Corinthian church I strongly urge him to visit you with the other brothers but he was not at all it was not at all his will to come He'll come when he has opportunity. So here, again, we see that you can be in God's will, and you can be doing God's work, and yet you can disagree with somebody at times. They they feel like this is a wrong for them. They've got to do this. There could be differences, and it doesn't mean the whole thing has to fall apart. Your whole relationship has to end. It seems we live in a day where if you don't have perfect agreement, you're getting written, you're written off as a lost person or out of God's will. You know, you can have differences. And the Lord will sort it all out. Doesn't mean you have to compromise, but you didn't have to, you don't have to end the relationship. They, they worked together. They, dis- they had a disagreement, and that was okay. So I thought that was kind of interesting. You don't have to be thrown by a loop if there's disagreement. Some seem to think that there isn't perfect harmony if everybody's not drinking the same Kool-Aid, why the whole work's going to fall apart. Well, no, it doesn't it doesn't have to be that way. Part of Christian maturity is learning to love in difficult times. Now, I think it's been my experience that one of the hardest things that Christians do, at least in the local church, is to love one another in difficult times. To love one another when you might not agree on something. It you know that's why you have so many church splits or people leave because they just cannot deal with someone who has a different opinion about them than me on something. This is one of those things that we want to be aware of. I am glad that the Bible makes it clear, it makes clear statements of truth and my duty so that I can build my life upon them. I'm glad that the Bible isn't just a clear, a collection of pithy statements, but it's based on eternal truths that God has stated himself that guides me in the real world. We cannot reduce everything down to um, these five statements here, but uh, there are some important things that we want to speak on here. Um, I might have just, um, I, I kind of missed the introduction to that. Beginning in verse 13, there are five imperatives for Christian living, and we're going to cover the first one today and then the rest of them next week. And so that's why I say I'm glad that sometimes Paul just sits back and through the inspiration 
just make some clear statements that, that are good for me, that are helpful. And so the first one here is um, to be watchful. It says this in verse 13, be watchful. And then we'll see the other one, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, let all that you uh, be done in, in love. We'll cover next week, but first one he says here is be watchful. The idea is to be on alert, to be wary, to be thinking. Most of the time when this term is used in the New Testament, it's directed at Christians who are to be spiritually alert or awake, opposed to being indifferent or listless or, or careless. We're to be watchful. Remember, we are uh, in an army. We're at war. There's dangers out there. As we think back on the way the Corinthians have been acting, we can see how important this is. Because instead of understanding the importance of serving the Lord together in this life, they had become in the church. They were getting drunk. They were doing the opposite of being alert. They were being uh, in. They were getting drunk, for instance. They were substituting pagan philosophy for biblical theology and wisdom. They had become factitious, immoral, litigious, confused about sex and marriage, uh, certainly indifferent to the plight of some of their fellow saints, anything but watchful. They were consumed with their egos and partying, but not the Lord. They weren't watchful, perhaps, because they didn't understand the danger, the importance of who they were as Christians and what they were called to do. That's why I said earlier, it's good to know what the church is here to do, lest we get we, we lose focus. If we don't understand how dangerous sin is, we're hardly going to take mortifying this flesh is very important if, if we don't think there's dangers out there. You know, when, uh, some years ago, uh, Sathic Sanders related this to most of you at one time or another. She was getting up early in the morning uh, in New York, and uh, she went out to start wiping down the, some of the snow off the car. There was some black ice there that she didn't see, and she fell, broke her arm. Well, at, from that point on, not just her, but me as well, it was a wake-up call that when it's icy outside, be careful. You know, you got you got to think about that, right? Sometimes the Lord might allow us to fall into some pretty miserable things, um, or someone we know to go through some trial, just to help us be wary of pitfalls. We, we see by example, we learn by example, so that we don't walk carelessly in this world. Because you cannot live a godly life if you're careless. If, if you think, if you don't realize what you're here for, if you don't stay focused on the battle. So the New Testament gives us several things to watch out for. We'll close with this. I'm going to just list a few things here. Uh, first of all, of course, we are to be careful, watchful for Satan. In second or in First Peter five eight, be sober minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. So, understanding why it's taking place is one of the ways for you to be watchful, to be alert, to understand this is God's will for me. It might be God's will for me, and I need to be ready for it. The Lord is telling us that he isn't going to keep us from having to fight the good fight of faith. We're going to meet Satan, and we're going to have to resist his work. 
doesn't mean you're going to you're going to meet him face to face like a bad Hollywood movie. But you're going to experience his work in the world through temptations, through bad uh, information, uh, through bad um, advice, through the spirit of this age. We're going to have to battle him. By, and we do so by having faith in the word and truth. Not by holding up our, um, not, not by holding up in our homes and never engaging anybody because afraid we might meet somebody who might be an adversary or, you know, give me some bad advice. No, we, we are, comp- we are students of the word so we are able to engage in those. So he has strategies that we must be aware of, like consumerism. Not indulging the flesh. That is, that is a strategy of Satan to get us to be to worship things and not to be content with if we don't have what our neighbor has. So be watchful. Secondly, we know we are to uh, be uh, one of the things that we have to be careful is uh, watch out for is temptation. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. That remaining sin, like sin, likes pleasure. And, and even your flesh likes pleasure, which is not sinful in, in and of itself. But because it likes that rather than suffering, you and your commitment to Christ is what's going to have to overrule that so that you will withstand temptation and be willing perhaps to suffer. Besides the mindsets and the worldviews that we encounter, we sometimes must will meet immediate and personal temptations. Times when what we learn from the Bible will be put to the test when we're out in the world, and we need to be watchful for that. The third thing we see here is indifference. We need to be on the lookout for this. Revelation three one. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write the words of him who has the seven spirits of the churches and the seven stars. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you're dead. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in my sight, in the sight of my God. Remember then that you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come against you. And again, this is spoken to a church. An indifferent church is not a pleasing church to the Lord. We're here for a reason. We're here to do a work. By its very definition, it's hard to notice if you're being indifferent. But it's something you've got to test yourself now and then. We all know how easy it is to get caught up in the habit of things, to forget to notice what we're doing. You know, it's like driving the work. Sometimes you drive the work, you don't remember how you got there, right? You, you go, it's a rut. You go indifferent. And you forget, no, I've got to be, there's dangers on the road that I've got to be looking out for. That's a Christian life. Otherwise, we can get so involved in work and family that we forget what living is all about. And, and I think a lot of Christians, they hear that and say, wait just a minute. Life is about family. And to some degree, life is about work. Well, okay, fine, except that you understand that family and work are given to you so that you might serve God. Serving the Lord and obeying the word is what life is all about. And all these other things are means to that end. And then lastly, we're told to be alert for false teachers. And we're not, this is not an exhaustive list by any means, but 
if we aren't taught the word properly, we can't recognize danger, safety, and so if we uh, won't know to be on alert for things. The word is a lamp unto our feet so that we can walk safely in this life. So we can make it to where we want to go, where we want to go. We want to be, make it to, not just make it to heaven, but to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. So I think we get indifferent when we think that, well, I'm saved, so that's really all that matters. No, what matters is that you are a faithful servant until the Lord takes you home. You getting to go to heaven is not what it's all about. You serving the Lord is what it's all about. And I, and I doubt there's, there's, uh, one in ten churches that we won't say that anymore. But let's think about it. Okay, let me close by just turning to Second Timothy, chapter four. Second Timothy, chapter four. Let's just read the first four verses here. We'll be done. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is it to judge? Who is to judge and the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. See? Uh, be ready for it all. When things are good, when things are bad. That doesn't matter. When you're sick and when you're healthy. When you're poor or when you're rich. Reprove, rebuke, exhort. Which is said to a pastor. So, in a sense, be ready. Do it. Do your job, no matter if everybody's happy and patting you on the back, or whether you just seem to be fighting everybody, uh, you know, whatever the situation is, growing or not, do your job. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers suit for their own passions. We certainly live in that day and age, but again, that's always been the case. And will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Well, we don't, we don't have all kinds of myths you can believe out there now, right? So positively, we are to be on the alert for the second coming of Jesus Christ, for the Lord to come back. That's, and that's kind of keeps us focused on everything else. We're knowing that the Lord's coming back. But I love this first one, to be watchful, because it reminds us that we are at war. That there are enemies out there that would destroy us, that would destroy our testimony. And a soldier who forgets that he's in a war will soon be a dead soldier, right? You don't, you don't forget that. And just because we don't have bullets, at least that we can see, zipping by our head all the time, doesn't mean that there's not dangers out there. And the Lord does us a favor when he tells us to be watchful. And so as I close, are you a watchful person? Do you consider yourself to be a watchful person, a watchful Christian? Do you recognize that when you get up in the morning, life's not just about making decisions based on what is the most pleasant experience, what I like the most. It's sometimes making difficult decisions, and it's knowing that you're going to be going through difficulty. Are you watchful? Do you realize that? And if you're not, then now's the time just to say, Lord, I've kind of failed here. I've become lackadaisical. And help me to stay focused on serving you and serving the church and see what God will do. All right, any questions or comments as we come to a close here today?